Welcome to CYC Podcast Discussions on Challenging Youth Care, episode number 157. I'm Wolfgang Bashong. Today, I'm speaking with Kaz McKenzie about her current research project titled Integrating Responsive Embodied Ethics, Unsettling the Praxis of White Settler CYC Practitioners. It's a lot, and I'm really excited to have Kaz with me today. Kaz is currently a master's student in child and youth care at the University of Victoria in British Columbia, Canada. Welcome, Kaz, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation, Wolfgang. Oh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. So you're currently writing up your findings from your master's thesis. You've been doing this project for a little while, always longer than we want, I suspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I just wonder if you could speak a little bit about why you decided to embark on this study. Mm, well, okay. Um, I'm going to just, um, just start by, I just want to acknowledge where I'm located right now. So Thank you. Um, it's kind of a practice of mine. And not to make it um, performative in any way, in a real term of wanting to advocate for the repatriation of lands to Indigenous nations by acknowledging that I'm on the Lekwungen people's unceded territories. And it's the home of the nations of the uh, Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wasanich peoples whose relationships to this land continue to this day. So your question about what made me embark on that, I guess, is also tied up with that acknowledgement that um, I have a, a very intimate connection to um, the peoples of the traditional peoples of these territories who live today. And um, I have kinship ties. And I had a really interesting experience when I went into grad school. My undergrad degree was in um, women's studies. Mm. So it tells you how long ago I did my undergrad. <laughs> Not women's studies. Yeah, let's not do the math. But um, <laughs> actually, do the math. I don't mind at all. I'm just joking. Um, but um, that gave me a really systems analysis to my frontline practice. Like I, I came into the work with a systems approach and with understanding the systems that we work in. And um, when I walked into grad school, um, our first meeting with our cohort, you know, we were we were in a room and there was no Indigenous students in in our cohort, and that surprised me. And I, um, in my introduction of myself, I made a connection and acknowledgement of my kinship ties to Indigenous communities. And what I realized in that was really powerful learning that. I realized in that there was a move that I did I wasn't even conscious of at the time of moving away from my whiteness and not being fully in my own white body at that time. And, um, one of the authors I and scholars I, I I've been reading a lot talks about settler moves to innocence. And so I'm I was very aware of my own fragility around being a white settler occupier and the ways that I was unconscious and blind to it showing up. And I, um, I just, I did a lot of my work actually my first term around, uh, around whiteness, around white privilege and around unsettling myself. And Paulette Regan wrote a book called unsettling the settler within where she really troubles the, the um, peacemaker myth of our 
history as a nation in Canada. And, and so I kind of took that into like me troubling kind of the, the white settler myth in CYC and, and it's not the white settler myth. It was like the white settler problem, really wanting to trouble the white settler problem. And, um, and that goes with a whole bunch of realities, um, that are lived right now in this day. So we're in, we're in the middle of the millennium scoop where there are more indigenous children and youth in care than at the height of the residential school era. And in British Columbia alone, we've just surpassed 60% of the children and youth in care are indigenous. And that just, um, like I say it, and I'm emotional by it. And I think I'm emotional because I know some of those children. I love some of those children. And I also am just overwhelmed by the lack of response and crisis making. I mean, there is stuff happening, but um, it's happening in its own kind of way, um, in its own kind of political slowdown time. I mean, Dr. Cindy Blackstock has been to the Human Rights Tribunal since 2007. I just read a tweet in the last month of hers that said it's been 19 years, and that's a whole... that's a whole life, you know, like when you think about children, like a 19 year old, a whole life where we are still dealing with mass inequities around funding, simple funding and how funding gets allocated to indigenous children versus non-indigenous children in this country, where, where, where things like on-reserve housing, education, social services and health are anywhere from 20 to 50% less to the same ch- same children living off of reserve and and often indigenous in urban communities too. So, you know, we have boil water advisory warnings across this country that we haven't dealt with. I mean, I don't I mean, I don't know if there would be a, you know, a municipality if we had, you know, in in Oak Bay or in James Bay where I live in Victoria if there was a a boil water advisory, there'd be some pretty fast action right away, you know. But when you're talking about uh, smaller communities with less systemic power, we're not we're not doing anything fast enough, in my opinion. So I, so that's kind of the background of where I'm thinking about, and I just wanted to flip the narrative. I wanted to move from from policies and procedures and laws in our nation from its inception that have placed Indigenous children and youth in violence and harm, in danger, and make it about not the Indian problem, and I say Indian in very um, conscious terms because that was the the Canadian government's terminology when it set out with the uh, Indian Act. Um, I wanted to look at the white settler problem in CYC and explore how to unsettle white settler privilege um, in myself and talk to other practitioners who were interested in having discourse and discussions and doing the the work it requires to unsettle themselves. Thank you. Thank you for that that work. Thank you for bringing it up and, and for flipping the narrative away from you know what is what is wrong 
and I'm putting these in in equally emphatic quotation mark what is wrong with this person or this young person or this indigenous (laughs) nation or what's wrong with this community that you know that they have a boiled water advisory what do you see as the white settler problem in CYC and maybe I'll I'll be a bit more specific than that and say what have you found in your research or what are the themes that you found in the research about white the white settler problem in child and youth care well, you know, like Child and Youth Care is founded on developmental psychology work, which is framed in a very um, Western, Euro, white male elite, elitist view of the world, and so so our that's our that's our baseline. And and I'm not saying there's not really good work troubling that, and and discourse and conversations about neoliberalism and settler colonialism and patriarchy and all these systems that 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 are operating um um just that really wanting to draw attention to the lack of conversation around whiteness and the call from indigenous and black and brown activists and scholars for for a very long time for white folks to have these conversations and to do this racial work. Am I answering that question right? Am I going there? Yes, you're absolutely going yeah. there. And and I know that in your in your research, you interviewed um, both white practitioners and um, indigenous black. Uh, people of, of color, or at least it was open to, although you focus yeah. primarily on, on white practitioners as a way to really highlight the, um, and I, I love your phrase about the, you know, the, the white settler problem to highlight that that's where the problems lie. What, what sort of things have come out of those, those conversations that you've had? Sure. And yeah, I really want, this was all around my, my conversations were around self-identifying. So I asked folks who self-identified as a white settler, and I also invited practitioners who self-identified as indigenous, or at the time of the, my invitations, as racialized. I've since really been playing a lot with the term racialized, and um, Beverly Jean Daniel talks about folks that are negatively racialized mm. and I've often I've been playing and I just came across that in the last week and I, I like that because we are all racialized um, just that some bodies are racialized more for harm and others primarily white are racialized more for positive experience in their racialization but I, I really um, I'm really aware that centering whiteness is is a is problematic and doing research around race and siloing people into races is is not ideal or unproblematic also um but that being said i i i um i really just i wanted to bring that the white issue forward and and because it's me and and i wanted to trouble me and and i'm embedded in all of this and so i i interviewed a lot of people because <laughs> honestly I was really jazzed by it and I really wanted to make sure that um, I had a, a big response and 
initially from Indigenous practitioners and um, non-white practitioners. And so I really wanted to make sure the bulk of my conversations were with um, white practitioners and that I invited negatively racialized and Indigenous practitioners to participate both to honour their work and wisdom with um, working in colonial and systems of violence, um, but to also give the opportunity to disrupt my discussions with white settler practitioners and to challenge my own centering of whiteness. And in the findings, you know, it was, it. I cannot say it was un... It, it was... The word uncomfortable is not accurate. It was alarming to me while I sat with um, non-white Indigenous practitioners, how how they expressed the kind of double bind of their work, working in these systems and working alongside folks and then themselves experiencing daily acts of violence and daily microaggressions from their white settler counterparts in this really unconscious way of, you know, ways that I as a white settler can can participate in a microaggression and not even realize it is. Um, so, you know, conversations around, um, you know, the good white person have come out in the conversation and people really, you know, I think this is, I mean, I can see myself in it, um, you know, really wanting to be seen as, as a good white person, you know, the one I, I'm not racist, right? Like I, I do, I do my work, but the reality is, is I've been brought up and raised in a racist climate in a system that supports racial division and racial inequities. And from that, I have, biases, I have ways of being, I have unconscious knowings that will impart microaggressions on bodies that are differently racialized. And so hearing those terms, you know, like, I I can recall in this moment, like one of my Indigenous um, practitioners, one of mine, (laughs) she wasn't mine, but in this study, one of the the folks, exactly right, (laughs) laying claim on her. But no, I just in our conversation together, um, you know, her being really clear with me, like this was going to be confidential, right? Like no one, every, every kind of link to the, that practice was going to be anonymous, right? Like it was going to be as confidential, like it was going to be confidential because just even saying the word racism in her place of employment causes so much white fragility that she is unsafe, So then having a conversation about the white settler problem and white settler privilege, she's just like, there's just no way I could manage that, you know? And so the, the, the actual, like me wanting to have these conversations about whiteness and white settler privilege and how we impart it in practice, it was coming out in all the conversations I had with indigenous and non-white practitioners that this was something they experienced every day, both with the folks they worked beside but also with their colleagues. And, and so that makes me, like um, Robin D'Angelo was just in Victoria this, this uh, fall and she wrote the book, um, uh, White, White Fragility? Yeah, yes. White Fragility. I'm forgetting it and looking at it right now. <laughs> and uh, she talks about problematizing like the kind of the, her book is written for the liberal white person. So, you know, it's a, she's from the States. So that being like, you know, maybe the, the right of center person, just like myself, who really thinks that 
we're not racist. The right of so, center, or left of center. Yeah, left of center. Right. I guess I want to move the right also. <laughs> indeed, and, indeed. <laughs> yes, if we if we start from the position that all white settlers are racist and are settlers, then um, then yeah, then, then maybe we can we can we can move everybody within those demographics to acknowledge our our racism and then make some shifts. So. Yes. Yeah, and, and that was, I mean, the and the, the, the white seller practitioners I spoke to, I asked for folks who identified as um, experienced, who'd had, who had grappled with these thoughts and ideas, and um, who also were um, critical and politicized. And I did that exactly for your comment. So we weren't starting at kind of a conversation of, is there even white privilege? Mm-hmm. Or is, you know, it was a conversation about, yeah, these are some of the blind spots I know about, and there's still more. And um, being able to reflect on past experiences where they've, you know, imparted violence unconsciously, how they've done, did repair, um, troubling, co- like, conversations about allyship and advocacy and what that means. Um, and I will say I was very honored um, and quite humbled by all of the participants, all the practitioners, forthrightness and ability to s- touch their own discomfort. Did I lose you? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I was just, I was just, I was just thinking about that discomfort and 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 sitting with the sense of of yes, how you know, historically and currently, absolutely, how uncomfortable it can be for for white uh, people to talk about racism um, and how necessary it is. And uh, I was recently having a, a, I was part of a, a conversation group of, of CYC practitioners and um, and we were going to have a conversation about, about racism and, and whiteness and um, and at that point in time, everybody in the group who had sort of said that they were going to be there, that particular conversation were, were white people and some CYCs mm-hmm. of, of, yeah. of color saw that and were like, whoa, 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 we are not like, yeah, who, who knows what's going to be happening in those conversations. Yeah. And it's really important to also have, um, to use your term negatively racialized, that's not the term the person used, but to also yeah. have, you know, black and brown bodies in that, in that room um to to continue that that conversation um you know yeah, and, and well, yeah go mm-hmm. ahead i just want to trouble that to all mm-hmm. to also like not rely on 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 folks with that experience to have to educate us or to hold us up or to be the the voice in the room you know like we as white folks need to do our own racialized work and um one of my um one of I keep saying my so I'm in my own little bubble with my findings stuff right now yes, on my conversations. But one of the practitioners I spoke with um, works in um, CYC, but through health in a mm-hmm. in a health field. And right now, the agency they are working for are doing um, cultural safety work. Mm-hmm. And so, what? Um, they spoke about was they did four cultural safety workshops. And then after that, white folks um, kind of caucused together to talk about whiteness and to talk about dismantling racial privilege within their organization. 
and racialized systemic violence in their organization. And the mentor that um, had done the um, cultural safety workshops was an Indigenous man who talked about the work being life-giving work. Mm. And um, the participant um, practitioner spoke about how that language really supported their unsettling of themselves, that they were being an activist unsettling themselves to, to give life in the world and to themselves, but also to other, uh, to other folks within a system that, that, uh, that are marginalized by. Absolutely. Hmm, so sorry, Kyle. Yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely agree with you. And it, it's, it's, you know, one of the things that motivated me to reach out to have this conversation is both you and I identify and, and situate ourselves as white practitioners, white settler practitioners, and and the, the necessity of having those conversations, um, you know, and bring it into a, a public space um, through the podcast to to invite other white people to have those conversations. Um, and I wonder how, how does one do that? If you have any, have any, have any thoughts on that, how does one, you, you did that through a very, very formal process of, of your research. Sure. Most people are not, you know, going to do that through research. How else do we have those yeah. conversations? Um, uh, for example, with with white practitioners looking at and unsettling the praxis of of white settler CYC practice. Totally. Well, you know, some of um one of the participants spoke about in their undergraduate degree reading a lot of literature and plays. So. Um, in Search of April Raintree was one of them. I can remember um, a mixed, something mi about mixed blood. There was a play, Thomas King's work, you know, like reading literature that we aren't necessarily given in our syllabuses right now. So like Leanne Simpson is an incredible, um, prolific uh, scholar and artist. Um, Sarah Hunt out of UBC does great work with... Um, great really powerful work actually um and so accessing like reading things like i thought i would say read would be things and also like in today's age you can access a lot of really great great information over like instagram like follow people that are different than yourselves and participate in the conversation in a respectful way of of giving space or not giving space that's not the right term but listening listening mm. is the right term um you know sarah hunt and um patricia baracus i believe her name was did a, a talk about um you know truth before reconciliation at sfu a few years ago and in it they talk about truth listening and how do we how do we how do we start to learn some of the things that we don't we haven't been exposed to because that's part of this whole system too is keeping white folks uninformed you know like um pam palmeter she's a an indigenous lawyer scholar who's who does a lot of classes and she her podcast is called warrior life and she was i was just listening to it this week about how she doesn't hold back and she really is very explicit around indigenous rights and doesn't 
doesn't try to not unsettle people. And she says, you know, a lot of her students that are, are racialized as white, they, they've never heard this stuff before. So read the Truth and Reconciliation document, you know, read the Royal Proclamation on Indigenous people, um, look at UNDRIP and have a, have a look at that. Those are all like background things, pick up a copy of White Fragility. And, um, and I think also, for me, it's like, you know, even listening to my um, conversations with folks, I could sometimes I was like, whoa, holy fragileness there, Kaz, you know, Mm -hmm. my white fragility shows up. And the discomfort of that, the the discomfort, like I mentioned to you about being nervous about this conversation, I'm not so nervous of the topic. Um, I, I quite enjoy talking about this topic. I think it's so important and vital. I think I'm just, I'm scared to make mistakes, you know, like, um, but that's part of this process is being able to make mistakes. We had conversations with the practitioners around calling people out and calling people in. And, um, and a lot of the, the, the white settler practitioners I spoke with really spoke about lifting each other up and that at some point in our own racial development, our own white racial development, we moved away from being those white people, you know, whereas now there was these great conversations that emerged about, you know, I'm, I am, these are, this is my, this is my lineage and my work is to, to support different conversations around around a whole bunch of stuff, but really calling out whiteness and calling it out in public spaces where there's, especially where there's bodies that are going to be hurt by that discourse. And then also calling in conversations in private where people can have, you know, really heart to heart discussions about the challenges of coming to terms with our own white savior complexes and being wanting to be seen in a room with indigenous folks and black and brown folks as as um as good like as their as their ally you know and um i still fall i still make mistakes i still get uncomfortable and i think there there's that per, per, permission to get messy and uncomfortable and then also the the heart and the strength to make repair when necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so necessary, and absolutely, you know, the 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 desire to be seen as as a good white person, and the um, the recognition of mistakes, and um, having grace. You know, I I remember um, I was I was in a workshop that you were facilitating about a mm. year ago now. And um, you said something, and 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 I, I raised a question um, about it, and and I, you know, and I was I was a bit wondering about um, raising the question, and I was struck by, um, you know, how you accepted the the comment and the critique, and and it taught me so much about yeah. uh, defensiveness, because often, uh, you know, when I have been challenged on my racism 
I go to a place of defensiveness and, and a discomfort and, um, and the fragility that, that you talk about, that D'Angelo talks about. And so having that, having that space to, um, you know, recognize that we, um, yeah, that we are going to make mistakes, that we continue to make mistakes. Um, it's an ongoing process. Um, how do we hold each other accountable um, without giving each other passes for, for their mm-hmm. racism? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder as as well. Um, so we've been talking a lot of sort of in a, a bit of an abstract way, sure. and, and you started the conversation talking about some very very real concrete mm-hmm. implications um, around being in the middle of the Millennium Scoop, and and sixty yeah. percent um, of children in care in in mm-hmm. BC are Indigenous children mm-hmm. and youth. Uh, what does unsettling white CYC praxis look like in our work with children and youth uh, in in a day-to-day um, to use a perhaps a, an inappropriate war metaphor and sort of the front line or in Scotland we did that cool face yeah that came actually came out of conversations a lot about our war our war and that like words mm. <laughs> and I never <laughs> actually really ingrained that so how does it look you know I think part of it is um I think part of it is these a little bit more abstract conversations and an educating of ourselves as white settlers so that we are aware because if we are not doing our racial work it's coming out in the families that are not white that we work with our biases, our discomfort, our our own our racism. So um, I think that's that's in part. Like I think that's part of the process. It has been for me uh, to be part of the process of of um, you know. I think of one practitioner who was um, working in a northern community and spoke a lot about. Um, spoke a lot about relational practice, but in a very, um, in a way where he was, and I'm going to say he, because he really called out his male privilege, Mm. his white settler privilege, his power when he was going in, how cognizant he was of going into communities where he held so much power and the legacy of that power. So even though, you know, he didn't write the Indian Act and he wasn't scooping children to put into residential school, the community still saw him with that lens. And so he would hold that in his practice and holds that in his practice. And then how to then build connections and trust to him. And, you know, he spoke very eloquently about still needing to be white, not needing, like, not, he's still a white settler. He will never not be a white settler. But that having, having that, that knowing and then not being the one in no, not being the one with all the solutions, absolutely knowing that there's this system that is working um, against both him and especially the families he's working with, um, talking to families and children and youth about systemic violence. Um, I know in my own practice, just doing this work 
increased my capacity to be able to have conversations about systemic violence and about racialized systemic violence in in new ways that drew drew really beautiful conversations because I was able to sit in my own discomfort of being racialized as white and profiting off of that, profiting off of those systems just because that's the way the system works. And then having educating kids, I had a lot of practitioners talk about, you know, talking to kids, giving them the language. You know, Cindy Blackstock talks about keeping things simple and being able to explain the human rights tribunals to a four-year-old, you know? Mm. And so, like, have starting to embed this in our education and how we talk with youth and children, how we educate CYC practitioners. Um, so it's not, it's not a conversation that is so emotionally heated that it causes harm to indigenous black brown folks, people of color. I think I, managed to get through three of my 20 some odd questions guys <laughs> and uh, it's always a sign for me of a, of a wonderful interview um however i also recognize that that sometimes that means uh, you know things get missed and so i wanted to ask you but as before we close is there anything that uh, that you want to talk about that that we haven't touched on yet before we finish up our conversation today hmm yeah, I think one things that um, because I, I I was I was drawn to this recently when I'm thinking about a time I called the um the advocate here in BC and I I got in really big trouble, mm. you know um I, I was often in trouble when I was at <laughs> you know um, but one of the things that uh, a a, a protection worker said to me, like after the report from the advocate's office was on their desk that, you know, what, what's in here? What's in here, Kaz? And I was looking pretty political. Mm. And I said, um, I don't do politics. I do kids. Mm. And, and Cindy Blackstock speaks like that, that she does kids. And I really think that whiteness and white supremacy is in calling it out is not a political act. It's about kids and it's about the sacredness of the lives of all the children that we have the honor and humility to walk beside and whose liberation is bound up in mine. Um, Lilia Watson, I believe her name is um, a scholar and elder in Australia speaks and says that, you know, don't come here to save me. It's, it's, it's much it's not that I'm uh, paraphrasing, mm -hmm. but um, if you're if you're coming here to save me, kind of go away. But if you see your liberation tied up in mine, then let's do the work together. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's what my work has always been with uh, children and youth and families and communities. And um, and that's why this conversation, I hope, just continues in different realms and different contexts where where white folks, we, we, we start looking at our, our stuff. We start looking at our white settler problem. Indeed. Absolutely. I think it's, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's really important work. I, I appreciate that you're doing the work. I'm so grateful you took the time out of 
part of your day today to have this conversation with me and I I really invite all the all the listeners to to engage in these conversations. I think child and youth care right now is in a particular moment where we have a real opportunity to address issues of, of white supremacy and, and racism and um, and I see those conversations uh, beginning uh, too slowly, but but they're beginning, and I'm I'm really grateful for those conversations, and I I look forward to reading your your thesis once it's uh, once it's finished, and uh, to having many more conversations with you and and other white colleagues and and colleagues of color as well and indigenous colleagues. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kaz. Thank you, Wolfgang. My pleasure. Bye bye. Thank you.